Welcome to the I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I-29 MUU University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Welcome to another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. I'm Kim Clark, and I am pleased to be joined today with Lloyd Holterman. Lloyd and his family have a dairy farm in Watertown, Wisconsin. So welcome to our podcast, Lloyd. Thank you, Kim. Lloyd, to get started, why don't you give us a little bit of background about the dairy operation, how many cows you milked, and kind of how you got started in the whole dairy industry? Well, I grew up here on this farm. Uh, we milked about 55 cows when I was in high school and college. And then when I returned to the farm after I graduated from <clears throat> University of Wisconsin-Madison with a degree in dairy science. Um, over the years, so we farmed about five or six years from with my parents, uh, Lloyd and Rose Holterman, and my wife, of course. And then we uh, decided to split off from them, but eventually we did return and we bought uh, the operation out. But the entire time, my focus really has been on genetics, trying to make a more profitable cow, which at first um, we kind of focused on marketing and things, but now that's changed. What made you decide to focus on the genetics? Well, I saw that there's a huge difference in the profitability between just an average cow and a really, really top cow. There's, and if we could have all really top cows, we could make so much more money with the same amount of effort. And so over the years, what made a profitable cow at first, it was marketing, higher type and, and pedigrees. And now it's uh, certainly our focus is on building a better commercial cow, one that produces more fat and protein with less feed less resources, less water, especially less vet cost, cow that lives longer, healthier, less lameness, less mastitis, and better fertility. Now, I want to visit the last part of what you were talking about, but before we do, did you start focusing on the genetics right away with your herd, and what size was your herd when you started focusing on the genetics? About 70 cows. Uh, I was farming with my dad, and um, he gave me, let me have quite a bit of input into that program. And of course, at the time, this is, we're talking way back in 1980, we did not have the tools like genomics or the traits like uh, productive life and daughter pregnancy rate and mastitis resistance that we have today. But we started by breeding cows with more protein production and higher fat. And uh, we just wanted to take really good care of those cows so that they lived longer and we could reduce our culling. You had mentioned you talking about, you know, earlier on with your genetics program, you focused on one area. Now through more of what we know about genetics and through genomics, you're focusing now more on a more efficient cow. So feeding them less, producing more, reduce lameness. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, with the traits we can select for now with mastitis resistance and lameness resistance and the, the really accuracy we've achieved on identifying highly fertile females, we are able to reduce our cull rate. And that's, uh, that has a huge, huge impact on our bottom line. If we can 
reduce our call rate uh, from in the past 33% down to 23%, we, we can raise a lot less heifers. We used to have about a thousand heifers standing around the farm for our thousand cow herd. Now we have 700 heifers and we still have too many cows, uh, too many heifers coming in, the more than we need, I should say. Never can have too many, right? But uh, <laughs> it's, more than, it's more than we need. It seems like as an industry, we go from having not enough heifers in inventory to having too many. And so it's kind of a, you never know how many heifers we need around. With your lower culling rate, are you milking cows longer than, is their longevity greater than maybe where you were at even 10 years ago? Oh, there's, there's no comparison by raising less heifers. Of course, the pressure is on that these cows need to last longer. And, you know, we, we have good protocols and stuff, but genetically, we want these cows to resist mastitis and resist lameness. And so we've gone with a smaller frame cow, which now has been proven to be more feed efficient. Uh, the latest research says that the more moderate or smaller cows will be more feed efficient as long as they uh, milk the same. Our cows are achieving really good production rates, but one, one of the things by breeding for productive life, livability, and some of the new traits, we've been able also to lower our vet cost from a historic pass, say over 10 years ago from about 90 cents a hundredweight down to 30 cents a hundredweight. So 60 cents a hundredweight, uh, you know, we're it's saving over $150,000 a year. That's amazing. And, and is your reduced vet cost because of the genetics that you incorporated? I believe so. We, of course, we've always improved protocols along the way too, but really more and more generations of high productive life adds longevity, genetic longevity onto your cows, but a big thing. We've seen that reducing lameness seems to have a bigger impact on longevity than even a, a reduction in mastitis. We used to think mastitis is a bigger problem than lameness, but it seems like now if a cow goes lame, her risk of culling uh, grows uh, by three times because uh, people don't like, they slow the whole system down. So we do put a high emphasis on lameness resistance. It's a zoetis trait that we test the cows for in our genetic program. But in the past, we've done it all through productive life and uh, not so much by breeding foot and leg composites because it's shown that if you bred for high foot and leg composite in the past, you ended up with a really straight leg, a, a deep heel and a close toe and uh, more, more hairy heel warts and more lameness and more foot rot which is very surprising because that's not what we intended. That's interesting. So you aren't doing anything different on the farm to treat lameness and hairy heel warts. So no additional foot baths or, or hoof trimmers or better management in the barn. You would relate your reduced lameness and hairy heel warts in, to the genetics. Well, I'd say at least 40% of it would be genetic and 60% to improvements in management. Uh, my partner, Jordan, who manages the herd, uh, he implemented a little different foot bath program. Uh, they attended uh, Carl Berge's foot uh, schools uh, up in Baraboo. And so uh, uh, using bleach and soap regularly in the foot bath and then copper sulfate once a week, maybe at the most. And then um, going to uh, trimming the cows at 80 days uh, fresh and at dry off doing regular just checking and doing maintenance sometimes they don't even need trimming but uh, we tend to stay on top of it and in between they take 
about a day every other week where they uh, might have, or when it gets to be a couple cows that are lame, they'll check those cows too. Lloyd, I was listening to your uh, presentation that you gave for the I-29 Moo University Winter Workshop in January, and I found it interesting that you mentioned that older cows are still profitable. And I'll mention to our listeners, if anyone wants to listen to Lloyd's presentation, you can visit dairy.unl.edu and click on I-29 Moo University to find his presentation. But talk to us a little bit about your comments there on an older cow is still profitable. Well, I would argue that our older cows are the most profitable. We don't want to ever keep, you want to always um, trim out your least profitable cows and keep your most profitable uh, and that gives quite an advantage to older cows because we've seen that sixth, seventh, and eighth lactation cows still outperform first and second lactation cows, even though uh, about 50% of our herd is first and second lactation. Those cows are not as profitable. And then when you add in uh, the advantages to reducing culling, it's incredible the difference. Uh, I think my numbers showed that if you had to cull a cow in first calf, your net uh, replacement cost would be about $2,200 in first lactation. And if a cow made it all the way to eighth or ninth calf, uh, you're down below $300 per lactation to replace her. So quite an advantage. Um, I, don't, I don't think, and then you add in the sustainability and the animal welfare part of that, uh, what better way to prove that you're complying with and doing the best job possible for animal welfare than have a herd of old cows where they're all up on their feet walking. They have four quarters and they're very fertile and look in good condition. To me, that's really the sign of good stockmanship. And um, so we're really focusing on those cows. That It just makes your herd so much more productive when these cows, we're finding that our, our, highest, lact, our highest most milk per cow is achieved in fourth lactation. So not even third lactation, but they, fourth and fifth lactation cows are your most you have the most milk that reduces all your costs, your labor costs, your vet costs, your cost of vaccine, your, your uh, cost of capital for facilities. Uh, and remember, it, takes, uh, it doesn't take much more time to milk a cow that's uh, giving 150 pounds a day than it does to milk a cow 90 pounds a day. All your costs are reduced by keeping these old cows longer. Even though genetically, we know that they're not quite as good genetically, but that puts a little pressure in a different area, and that's uh, your breeding program. Sure, sure. So just looking at your, the milk production and all the other factors, fourth or fifth lactation, what would you say is your average milk production? For the entire herd, um, we're, we're averaging a little over 30,000 pounds of milk shipped, uh, which is down a little bit from 2019 because of the COVID. We had to cut some production. I think we did it incorrectly if we're going to look back, but that's a topic for a different time. So, but our first lactation cows are around 24, 25,000 pounds, even though their mature equivalents say they're a lot higher. Uh, the actual milk is quite a bit less than say a fourth or fifth calf cow. They're up over 33,000 or around 33,000 pounds. This podcast is sponsored by DTE Biomass Energy. DTE Biomass is the leading developer of renewable natural gas facilities on dairies and landfills and is a subsidiary of DTE Energy, a Fortune 500 diversified energy company based in Michigan. 
DTE Biomass owns and operates 11 RNG facilities, mostly in the upper Midwest. If you're interested in learning more about dairy RNG, you can follow the link on our I-29 Moo University webpage or visit DTEBE.com. Now, looking back at the history of since, when, since you've been focusing on the genetics, is there anything you would have done differently or changed over the years? And maybe thinking about where you're currently at, what are you focusing on from the genetics standpoint? Um, if I were going to go back, I think the only things I, I, would, I would have stopped classifying sooner, even though we have all registered cows, I would have stopped classifying sooner and focused on uh, a smaller cow because those are so much more profitable, live so much longer than, than the kind of large unwieldy cows that we tended to have before that. Of course, if you're going to classify, you can't, that, that kind of breeding program is not rewarded. In fact, it's largely discouraged by that program uh, or has been. So I guess that's one of the things to take the pressure off of trying to impress other people, but the person you want to impress with your cows is your banker. Uh, if you're financing money, there's nothing better than to have profitable cows. And then the discussion's very short. And it's how much more money can I lend you, not how much more money can I get. Now, I want to go back and talk about the heifers for just a minute. Uh, you had mentioned you've reduced the number of heifers that you have on inventory. Are you breeding to beef semen then? And are you using sex semen? Yes and yes. Um, I th what we're trying to do is to uh, to ge generate about eight heifer calves a week in 1,100 cow herd. That's not very many, and so we do have cutoffs. Uh, we're using 500 net merit as our cutoff. If the animal is below 500 net merit, and it's not a fast hard rule, it kind of depends on how many were pregnant the week before. We want to maintain a steady flow, but uh, we're using sex semen on virgin heifers, first and second calf cows. So those three groups of animals get uh, the high genetic ones, over 500 net merit are getting sex semen at least once, heifers probably twice. And then after that, um, if they're really high, they would get conventional Holstein semen, but everything else being bred to beef. So in a typical week, we'll make two thirds beef calves and one third Holstein heifer calves, hopefully. And what are you using for your beef semen? What breed? We're using Angus. Um, the reason we're doing that, I, I know there's been a lot of talk about the advantages of Limflex and some of the other breeds. However, in our local market here, Angus is the king. Uh, if they're black, they bring more money. Uh, we put them through a sale barn and we have some, we have some private buyers too, but they really, really like the, the Angus. And so there are programs out there, but being only only a little over a thousand cows, we really are not prime candidates for linking up with a feed yard that wants specific genetics. What advice do you have for dairy producers that are looking to improve genetics on their farm? Well, I think you have to use high net merit bulls. That's or dairy wellness profit. Those two indexes are the indexes you want to start with. And then within the bulls that rank really high, I think you want to, uh, if you're if mastitis and cell count are issues that uh, you're struggling with, I think you want to put a heavy emphasis on mastitis resistance. If cows cull out for lameness, I think you want to put a high em emphasis on that. And if cows 
if if your herd is not as fertile as you want, I think you put uh, pressure on genetic fertility. But uh, what net merit does is it puts all those things into a nice, neat economic formula, and it values uh, protein the highest, and that's what we get paid the most for in our milk checks is protein, and and then um, health costs are, of course, growing. And the reason we put so much emphasis on health in, in when we see these bulls is that we don't think the milk price is going to increase a lot over the next 10 years. It might even be the same 10 years from now as it is today. That's what we're planning for. The only way that we can make money and compete under those circumstances is that our cows have to last longer. We have to have low, lower culling rates, less on-farm losses from mortality. So we, we really want the cow that, that lasts forever and produces at very high levels. And we think we can reduce our labor costs and our facility costs by doing so. I wanna switch gears here for a second. Lloyd, Rosie Lane Holsteins received a sustainability award for your genetics technology that you incorporate. Talk to us about how the genetics plays a role in sustainability and reducing carbon emissions. Well, one of the things we've been measuring since 2007 here is feed efficiency. We're involved with Cornell University and Cornell Pro Dairy uh, Program, where we report our milk check and all the feed that our milking herd consumes and a bunch of herd metrics. Every month, we report our milk income by component into the computer and anybody can do this. Anybody can reach out to Cornell and get on this program and I would highly advise it. And it will calculate out your income over feed cost and also standardizes so you can see if there's improvements in management. What that did was it really helped us measure our progress. For instance, uh, about 13 years ago, we're at 1.62 pounds of energy corrected milk for every pound of dry matter that our milking herd consumed. And that was using BST, so a little bit of an advantage there. Today, last year in 2019, or two years ago, 2019, we're at 1.68. And there was one year in between there that we did hit 1.7, which is our goal. If we achieve that 1.7 pounds of energy corrected milk for every pound of dry matter our milking herd consumes, we are really, really going to make money. And uh, we're going to be very efficient and can compete with uh, dairies, both larger and smaller. That's fantastic. Anything else you want to share with our listeners? Well, I think uh, you don't want to overreact on any of the new traits too much. But I think when I look at bull selection, I start with net merit and I pick out the higher protein ones. Uh, They're making their value out of protein and then uh, high productive life, daughter pregnancy rate, mastitis resistance, lameness resistance, and livability, which is resistance to dying on the farm. If I do that and we use superior bulls at all times, um, we, we can keep our call rates very, very low, have very high production and make maximum uses of our land, water and air resources. It's a great summary. I I know I couldn't have done any better. Thank you, Lloyd, for joining us on another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. If you want more information on Rosie Lane Holsteins, they are on Facebook. You can search on Facebook, Rosie Lane Holsteins, um, R-O-S-Y hyphen L-A-N-E Holsteins. um, So you can find them on Facebook. And you can also view Lloyd's presentation from the I-29 Moo University Winter Workshop 
by visiting dairy.unl.edu and click on the I-29 Moo University page. Thanks for joining us, Lloyd. Well, thank you for having me. I love to talk about genetics and, and this whole sustainability doesn't have to cost money. You can make more money while being more sustainable. We think that the two go hand in hand. And on that note, we'll end there. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.